Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Alex Duvall. How are you doing tonight? Joel, I'm doing well. It's Tuesday night as we're sitting here recording, and Missouri is in the middle of another what looks like it could be a rough game against the Ole Miss Rebels. So hopefully they'll pull this one out, but uh, I'm excited about Royals baseball, so Missouri basketball be damned. We got baseball to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Spring training's in full swing at this point. We'll get games, I believe, this weekend. So we're getting that much closer to baseball. College baseball starting up. I get to go to the brand-new baseball stadium here at Oklahoma State, O'Brate Stadium, brand-new top-of-the-line facility. I'm excited to be able to watch a baseball game for the first time in essentially a year, which is wild for me. And I know you haven't been to a game in a year as well, so it's insane. But today we are joined to talk about the Royals, uh, expectations for this season, kind of help preview things a little bit. Shane Summers, he's our two-time guest now, producer and engineer of In the Zone with Jason Anderson on 810 WHB in Kansas City. Shane, how's it going, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. I am a K-State basketball fan, so let's talk baseball. Yeah, I, I understand that even more than what Alex said. Uh, I get to watch the number one player in the country at Oklahoma State, so at least I get a little – That's if any, I have at least some consolation for basketball. Yeah. Uh, Alex, Alex uh, go ahead and lead us off here. Uh, where, where do you want to go? I think there's, there's so much to talk about. Spring training, we actually have some storylines to talk about a little bit. Dayton Moore said that essentially the lineup and the rotation is set for this season at this point, which I think is, is good, at least to, I think to a certain extent, there's not a ton of, of controversy or anything. I think we have, we have a good idea of what the major, major league roster is going to look like, but where, what else, where, where else do you want to go with this to start? Yeah, let's, um, let's start off with what Dayton said today about uh, the lineup and the rotation pretty well being set. You know, Max Reaper over at Royals Review today um, wrote a really good uh, piece about the, the lineup and he, the first part of it was if the lineup was optimized, what would that look like? And then if it wasn't optimized, um, you know, what, what does he think the lineup will most likely look like? And the lineup was, it was pretty standard. I don't think anybody would read Max's article and have, shouldn't have any issues at all with what he wrote. And I'm, I'm trying to get pulled up right here. My computer all of a sudden decided it was going to wig out. Um, but here it is basically. And, and I agree 100% with everything Max wrote. Um, you know, either at second base or right field, you have some combination of Whit Merrifield leading off, Benintendi in the two-hole, Santana three, Solaire four, Dozier five, Perez six, Mondi seven, Nicky Lopez or Hanser Alberto or Edward Laveras, wherever they go with that second base, the other second base right field spot in the eight-hole, Michael Taylor nine. I have absolutely no qualms with that. Um, I think that's perfect. I think that is legitimately the best lineup the Royals could run out there. Um, and I think it's locked in. Like, I don't think there's anyone who can come in and compete for any other spot on the roster unless Michael Taylor looks like Brian Goodwin did a couple springs ago and Kyle Isbell looks like classic 2011-2012 Mike Moustakis, spring training Mike Moustakis. Um, then, you know, I, I think that lineup is set. And then as far as the rotation goes, it's – almost surely going to be Bubich, Singer, Keller, Minor, Duffy. So really, I think the conversations are more about what we expect of them. And so um, I want to get your guys' take on the line really quick. And, you know, is there anybody that you think has a legitimate chance at breaking in? But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of the idea of it being set and that the, the Royals are being honest with themselves that it's set because it means they think this is the lineup that's going to compete if not seriously for a playoff spot, then, you know, at least into July, 
in August, be competitive and, you know, hovering around 500 for most of the year. Yeah, I, I think this is a really solid lineup for where the Royals are at at this point. Uh, and we're going to see more guys, you know, at least in the system, like a guy like Kyle Isbell, I think is going to come up at some point this year. We're, we're going to see some some movement for sure. But I think to start the year getting wit, you got wit and then Benintendi, Santana, Perez. So like that's, that's really good. And that's a pretty lengthy lineup too. And what intrigues me is what they do with second base. I do think, I think we're going to see some kind of platoon with Nicky Lopez and Hanser Alberto. I want to see Nicky get his at-bats against lefties just to see what he has. I just, because I still think the jury's out on him, at least offensively, he was very good defensively at second base, but then you, but at least you have a guy to fall back on in Hanser Alberto who has smashed lefties for his entire big league career with the Baltimore Orioles. So you have a solid utility guy that can play a little bit of third. He's played some third, he's played some second, he's played some outfield. You can move him around. The Royals like that kind of versatility. You can make a guy like Nick Heath, your fourth outfielder that I think overall, at least what we're seeing with the, the lineup I think is a good start to the year and we'll see the way, you know, let the chips fall where they may the rotation. I, I have no qualms with it at all. I think minor Keller, Duffy singer, Bubich, that's a really good starting five at this point shows the faith that they have in singer and Bubich to have them start right away. Just, you know, like they pitched all last season and then we'll see where Daniel Lynch and Jackson co are and some other guys fall into place. But I really like where they're at, at this point. And I'll be interested to see a couple months into the season how some of the prospects that we talk about so much on this podcast start to make their way into Kansas City, possibly. I'm super excited for this lineup. There's a couple of things that I was looking at stats from. I mean, we almost have to throw out most of last year because last year was 60 games at such a small sample size to really get what a player was. And obviously, I mean, something to think about, too, is what – all the players we're dealing with is the same stuff we were dealing with. Oh, and they have to go travel a bunch too. So yeah, I think it paid a lot of money, but blah, blah, blah. You look at Carlos Santana, the back of his baseball card is Serena always says on our station is who he is. Last year he had a down year for me. What hit like 199. Um, I, I was looking at it earlier. It wasn't great. The year before that, I think he hit 270. Like I'll take that every, every week from your first baseman. Um, uh, ben Attendee was hurt most of the year. You, they bought these guys low with huge upside. I, I, I know that there's more upside for Ben Attendee because he's 26, if I'm right, and Carlos Santana's 34. But, I mean, I, I see guys like that as huge upgrades. Um, I've, I always thought – I like Ryan O'Hearn. I like Ryan McBroom, but I thought they should be your backup first baseman. S- stuff like that. Like, I think um, – I think the Nicky Lopez, is it Hanser Alberto, might be the most intriguing offensive position all year because you look at Alberto's numbers the last couple of years, I would take that right now if you told me that was what Nicky Lopez was going to hit. Because, I mean, you get a great glove with Nicky, but he just hasn't hit like we thought he would at the majors. Um, so there's a couple of spots that you kind of like, have a question mark a small question mark about, but I think it, like you guys said, it's set. And I think that there should be no reason why they shouldn't be. I mean, yeah, it's the AL central is going to be pretty top heavy with the Mets or the Mets, the um, twins and the, um, the white Sox. but there should be no reason that there's really like sitting at in third the whole year. 
Yeah, and I think the you talk about the first base position is is they have had really absolutely no production from the first base percentage from the first base position over the last few years. You know, Ryan McBroom got eighty five at bats last year, which I know he appeared in thirty six games, but he had eighty five plate appearances, which is essentially like twenty games really. So in twenty games, he had a he had a WRC plus, which was above league average. His OPS was. Um, his OPS was above 780. So, I mean, it was, it was okay. Um, but you have a guy in Carlos Santana who is two years removed from an on-base that approached 400 in a career 366 on-base. I mean, just providing consistency from the position with market improvement in left field from Alex Gordon to Andrew Benintendi, uh, whatever Alex Gordon was in 2020. And if you just look at those two positions – you have two positions on the field where you had absolutely no production last year, and the team was on pace for somewhere between 70 and 71 wins if it was a full season. And that was after they got off to, what, like a 3-8 and eight start? Um, so I think just having any production from those two, let's say they're both um, a win and a half better than their projected replacements were last year, when you're looking at three wins just right off the bat with two positions with no improvement from any other position on the field, um, and that's, again, right around a 74-win pace that they were on last year. So, you know, the lineup is what it is, and we talk about it's deep, it's whatever, but even if it was the same as last year, they were on pace for 70 to 71 wins, and that's where Vegas has their under-over set for – over-under set for this year is at 71 and a half um, – and, and it's really, we were kind of talking off the air, it's almost like, a, do they know something we don't? Or is the rest of the league just sleeping on how good the Royals might be because of a shortened year last year? I think there's a little of column A, little column B. Vegas knows what they know. And more often than not, they're, you know, they're pretty dead on, you know, plus or minus a little bit. But I think this team is at least 75 to 78 wins. I think that's completely realistic. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility at all. It has a, a 2013. This team kind of has a little bit of a 2013 kind of feel to it where yes. they're not competing yet, but you're starting to see glimpses of that, that next wave and that next push to contending. And I think we're going to see some of that this year. There's going to be some roller coaster in it. It's still a young team, especially with guys that are um, – you know, the prospects are coming up, the pitching that's a little bit younger in spots. But I think we're going to see a team that is going to start to – we're going to see them start to turn the corner a little bit. And I think that's that's what we saw in 2013 and then 2014 and 15 were what they were. I'm not saying the Royals are for sure surefire contenders in the AL Central in 2022, but I think we're starting to see the the window open. I talked about it on the last, one of the last episodes with Alex when they traded for Benintendi. That's a kind of move that tells me the Royals really see that window beginning to open and we're start, I think we're going to start to see some of the dividends of that start paying off this year. I agree. I agree 100%. I, I thought that feeling, too, that it's uh, – it doesn't feel like a move Dayton would have made a year ago even, two years ago. He feels like – I feel like he thinks they're – they need to get this core together at least to play a little bit to then maybe make a big another step next year. And uh, I feel – the 2013 analogy is great because it does feel a lot like that. It feels like, feels like there's more excitement to them. I mean, with a couple of these moves and some of the younger players, pitchers especially coming up, which we haven't even talked about, even off air, what Salvi said about Lynch yesterday, which made me go crazy. Um, I think that 
75 is realistic. I think 75 to 78 is about where I would put them too. Somewhere I, I haven't sat down and really gave that, you know, 76, seven, whatever, but it's, I feel like they're way better than 71. Cause like you guys said, they were projecting for that last year and I don't feel like they're going to, they're going to be a, a step above what they were last year. Well, I think Cleveland is a step down as well. Exactly. Yeah, um, that's very true. Like I, I know Frankie Lindor wasn't, didn't have his best year last year, but it is really hard to quantify how good the leader, the middle of your lineup, the shortstop is for a team, like how valuable that is. Like, I think he is one of the more underrated players in baseball. Like, he may not be Tatis because he's a little older, but he's really close. Like, he's one of the three or four or five best shortstops in baseball in a league now that is shortstop heavy. Um, I, I, I really don't think that Cleveland is a better record than Kansas City at the end of the year. I think Cleveland is a down year. I think Detroit's bad again. And then really what you're, what you're asking is, can you stay within six or seven games of Minnesota? Because I think the White Sox are the class of the division. I think the Twins are right below them. But if you can stay within six or seven games of Minnesota, you're within striking distance in 2022. The problem is that both Chicago and Minnesota are really young. And most of Chicago's prospects have kind of hit the big leagues. Like, for the most part, they're there other than maybe Michael Kopech. I know they have Andrew Vaughn on the way. Like, everybody's got guys on the way. But the beef of the White Sox lineup is here. The Twins still have guys coming. They have a lot of bats uh, at the minor league level between Alex Karoloff and um, uh, Trevor Larnich and a couple other guys that they've Royce got coming. Yeah. yeah, Royce Lewis. I, I think he's a couple years away yet. But they've got reinforcements on the way. So the Royals can't really afford to get too far behind Minnesota because if they do, it's going to be hard to catch up. So I think this year is a big year, a statement for the organization, if you will. Can you stay within striking distance of Minnesota? Not because they need to make a late September push to catch Minnesota, but they need to show themselves that by the time Daniel Lynch and Jackson Coar and Alec Marsh and Austin Cox and Jonathan Bolin, all these arms arrive, Kyle Isbell, that when you add those guys to the lineup, that you can actually go catch Minnesota next year. So my expectations for the team are, you know, 75 wins. I think – I really think they're capable. If they finish less than 71, I, I'm going to be really worried about where the organization is in terms of its where – where it is by itself, but not only that with where they rank against the White Sox and the Twins because if they don't – if they can't win 75 games this year, it's not going to get any easier – and they've got the horses to go from, like, 75, 78 wins to 84, 85 wins. But I don't know if they have the horses to go from 70 wins to 85 all of a sudden in a one-year stretch. Yeah, yeah this, I think this is a year, like I said, I, I don't – I'm not expecting – I have – I also – I think this is more just how I am as a sports fan. I have fairly low expectations because I don't want to get my hopes up for something greater than what it could possibly be. But like I said, I don't expect more than 75 to 78. And if it's, you know, 74, if I still see flashes of what we could see next year, then I'm still not that worried. But if I see 70, 70, 68 to 70, 71, kind of right around where Vegas has it, I am legitimately concerned because where are some of the guys that unless, unless they are completely, they go all in and they throw Daniel Lynch and Jackson Coar and like maybe like an Austin Cox and Kyle Isbell in the outfield, all the stuff just to see what they have in these guys, you know, when they kind of, if they fall out like in August or something and they stumble down the stretch by playing young guys, 
it's still kind of concerning, but I'm not as worried as I should be. But if we see the lineup and the rotation that we talked about and are excited about struggle all season long and they go 70 and 92, we, there are some serious red flags about where this team is at and what they're even going to be in 2024. Like, I mean, it, it could set back whatever the contention window Dayton Moore and the front office think it is by years if you struggle that bad this year. I don't foresee that, but that's a, also a, a very likely scenario. When I have one one quick thing, division-wise, we were talking about the division just a second ago. Are we really – like, I question – the White Sox talent is insane. Like, I'm not going to question their talent. But is the Tony La Russa move I, – I could see that totally backfiring. So, I was uh, thinking the, about this. I didn't want to go down this road. I didn't want to go off on that tangent. But I was thinking – I'm not sold on the White Sox. And it's I, not the talent. It's – like, without question, they're the, probably the best team in the division. But the guy pulling the strings, I don't – I don't think it's going to work. I really don't. I mean, he's been out of the game 10 years. Does that sound about right? Was yeah. it 11 last 2011 year? 2011 was when his last year he made it. He's al- he was already an old guy. That's, not, uh, you know, to each their own. And, you know, Ned was great. He was older. He, but I just, it's, it's, I don't know if it's going to work. Like, I honestly just, I could see it blowing up in their face and they booting, booting him by like July. But, and that would be one reason why the, the Royals could keep up with the White Sox. But I do, I agree. I think the White Sox are by far, Talent-wise, the best team in this division. It's another conversation, though, is when I, when I talk about the Royals, you know, I would be worried they win less than 71 and, you know, pretty pretty content if they win 75-ish. That, that for me, is contingent on the White Sox being a 90-win plus – 90-plus win team and the Twins winning 85 to 89, even 90 uh, for them this year. If, the, if, if, if we don't think the White Sox are good, which I, I do, but let's say that you guys are right and the Tony La Russa move blows up in their face and the White Sox only win like 87 games and the Twins go in and they only win what I think is going to be maybe 87, 88 wins, then that's you're, you're looking at like four or five more wins that are somewhere to be found. And if we don't think the White Sox are going to be as good as I do, then – in my opinion, you got to look at the Royals as being a 78, 79, bordering on 80-win team because I think they're a 75-ish win team with two really, really good teams in the division. So, um, you know, I, I, I agree with you that the White Sox, like that has the potential to blow up, but I just think they're too talented. I think they have too many bats. I think they have enough arms to contend. Um, I really think that team wins 93, 94 games and is a one or two – Worst case scenario, the three seed um, in the in the in the AL in the American League, but I, I definitely think they're taking the AL Central Trophy home. If they do not, then I would not be surprised at all if the Royals can win, pull out eighty games somehow this year. Yeah, I'm just rooting for it because I don't I don't want the White Sox to win. I, yeah, I'm kind of I'm I'm just not sold on the Tony Larusa move, but you know we'll see. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back after this. All right, guys. So spring training game one is on Sunday. We get, you know, and it's going to be a little weirder this year. Teams can play like five innings, seven innings. They can kind of make up their own roles like Sandlot, essentially, especially with uh, some of the, non, the non-roster invitees that are still on the roster early on. But uh, Shane, we'll start with you. What do you want to see from some of these younger guys? Like who's somebody that you're really trying to keep your eye on early on in spring training that you think could make an impact and maybe force their way onto the roster somehow? Um, let's see here. So 
obviously, the, you know, the, all these pitchers have me really excited, and especially when uh, Salvi yesterday came out and said what that he that Daniel Lynch was hitting a hundred and it was nasty, and he was I I mean, I know the rotation set, but obviously that's the guy that we've been kind of all waiting on to be like, all right, if this guy is going to be your number one, number one, top five pitchers in the league, like we all hope he can be. Let's see it. Let's see it. The start of spring training. Let's, let's get after it and uh, maybe make them be prepared that may, when there's a, a, you know, opening in the rotation that they don't even think twice and they bring him up and he's, he's there. I've heard maybe because of everything with the pitchers, uh, innings issues because of last year and everything that they there's talks that maybe six man rotations might be something we see a little bit more of or to stretch them out a little bit. So let's see it. Let's see, let's see a, uh, you know, last year was Singer and Bubich. Let's see uh, Lynch and Coar force their hands or Cox Bolin, mostly Lynch. I, I, I want, a, I want it to be appointment viewing that when he is, He's on the mound in spring training. I am either finding my my uh, TV or uh, MTV MTV MLB account so I can watch it. Yeah, he's a guy, and I keep saying it. I put it out on the Twitter on the Twitter feed. I've written about it. We've talked about it on the podcast. Like the the way people keep talking about him is literally like what people were talking about the homes in practice in 2017, and. I kept saying it and I kept saying it and I don't want to say, I don't know if people believed it or not, but then Salvi comes out today and he goes, yeah, not many lefties can hit a hundred miles an hour. And I'm like, I keep telling you guys, like the way that these guys are talking about Daniel Lynch is like the chiefs talked about Mahomes in 2017. I mean, I remember in 2017, they would come out like in their, their midweek press conferences and they'd ask him about Mahomes and like, you got to see this guy on the practice field. It's like, Dude, Alex Smith is still a quarterback. Like, Alex Smith is going to be the quarterback on Sunday when they go out there and play Denver. And you guys are talking about Mahomes in practice. Like, man, it's just, it's just something different. And we – and Shane, I know uh, Joel and I have talked about this, but it was like we had Lovelady and Heath on last summer, and we asked him who has been impressive at summer camp, and both of them off the top of their head just said Daniel Lynch. It's like the players know who's got next. Um, and to hear Salvi today talking about how good Lynch has been, it's like, the, the the secret's out, and at this point, like, I'm not going to be disappointed because for a long time I had Coar above Lynch just in what I was seeing with my own eyes. But, man, it is impossible to ignore the rumors and the, the vibe and the just the excitement that is boiling around the arrival of Daniel Lynch to mm-hmm. the big league. Yeah, I, I could gush about Daniel Lynch too, but I'm going to try and go in a different direction here just for the sake of uh, – you know, trying to be a little bit different, but I, Kyle Isbell to me is a guy that he he popped last year in spring training after a really rough 2019 when he had the handmade bone injury and another he he was hurt pretty much all year. He goes to the Arizona Fall League and tears it up, and that's really that's who he is, and that's a it's a better representation of it than what we saw in Wilmington. And then he goes to uh, spring training last year as an NRI. And he's making diving catch for diving catch, ridiculous play in left field. He's making crazy plays at the alternate site. He's mashing the ball everywhere. And I want to see. I want to see if he can force the, if he forces the hand of the Royals. I don't think he's going to break 
camp with the team and be the starting center fielder. But it wouldn't surprise me if by like May, he's going to force the hand. I think he's going to force her hand at some point. I've been high on this kid since they drafted him. And I think he's, he's a guy that's going to find his way to Kansas city at some point this year. And I, I want to see how he does really early on in spring training when he's getting consistent at bats uh, against, you know, big leaguers or, you know, high minor league guys like he would be seeing. And if he impresses, it wouldn't surprise me if the Royals maybe pulled the trigger on it. For sure. I think there's a chance he's here by June. Um, especially if like Michael, Michael A. Taylor has never been a great hitter. Like he's a good defender. He's a great base runner, but he is a very consistent 75 to 80 WRC plus guy, which is like 20% below league average. And that's fine. That's what you know you're going to get from him. Um, I should have pulled up his splits uh, before I was talking about him right now, because now I'm not 100% sure I know what his splits are like. I'll have them for you in about eight seconds. Um, but let's just say that Michael A. Taylor goes out there. Let's see, in 2020, um, he hit a little bit better versus lefties than he did against righties. He hit 206 against – or I'm sorry, his WRC plus against lefties was 80. It was 72 against righties. For his career, he's got a WRC plus of 88 against lefties and 75 against righties. So he is about a 10% better hitter against lefties. Let's say he goes out there this year and he's really struggling against righties. Maybe he's got like a 90 WRC plus against lefties and he's handling lefties just fine. Um, but they're not getting that production from against right-handed pitchers. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Kyle Isbell up in June um, playing regular every day at bats against righties and getting the occasional break against lefties while that's when Michael A. Taylor gets to play. Um, I just think Kyle Isbell is that good. Now, we talked about this last time as well. I don't think Kyle Isbell is an all-star. Like, I would be shocked if he ever made more than one all-star game, maybe two just in a couple of good years. But I think he's a very consistent contributor. I think he'll be a starter, a two to two and a half win guy every year that you can count on to go out there, make the plays, be a consistent offensive contributor who's, ne again, he's never going to hit 25, 30 home runs. But if he can give you 15 to 20 home runs and 25, 30, 35 doubles and 10, 15 stolen bases every year with an on base that hovers like Ben Intendi around 360, you're going to take that every day of the week. Um, and, and I think he's going to be a really solid contributor for Kansas City long term. Plus, I was just looking up. I didn't know. I remembered it was a it was like a one year contract. He's on he's on the books for one point seven five million. That's a guy that you can, if you think you can get, get an upgrade. I know that it shouldn't matter, but it does matter, especially with the team that worries about their money as much as the Royals does. They can they can move on from Michael Taylor if they feel like Isabel is like an upgrade mid season. And so I think we've hit on the big two there is Lynch and Isbell are the two that I think Royals fans ought to be excited about, ought to be keeping an eye on. Because if you're talking about, you know, the bullpen, I think Coar could be in the bullpen before Lynch. I think Cox and I think Marsh could be in the bullpen before Lynch. Um, but if you're talking about major contributors to the rotation or the lineup, I think the first two guys we're going to see are Lynch and Isbell. So, um I think they're going to get a lot of run in big league spring training because I think by June, you're going to be looking at both of them knocking down the door of the big leagues. Is there any chance that you guys think Bobby Witt comes up at all this year? Mm -hmm. I, I don't, but I just didn't know. If Unless he goes out and just destroys everything he sees in his sight and forces there, but I don't even think they're, I don't think they start his clock until. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think so either. Yeah, I, th I think 22, if he if everything that we're seeing and hearing about him is legit, like I think 2022 is realistic. I don't 
and I, I don't think it's a break camp type scenario, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if by mid-2022 we see Bobby Wood Jr. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's a 2021 arrival. I think, and I think part of that is, is that you have Hunter Dozier to play third every day. I think Kelvin Gutierrez is actually better than people may realize. Like, he hasn't done it yet. But I think Kelvin Gutierrez deserves an opportunity to prove that he can't handle third base at the big league level. And you have Mondesi at shortstop with guys below him that can handle the position like Lucius Fox and Nicky Lopez. Like, I just don't see – even if Bobby Witt Jr. was tearing up high A and then double A and then triple A. Like, I don't know where his at-bats come from, um, especially if you think this team is winning 75 games. Now, the, if this team tanks and it gets really bad, maybe you see him in August, September um, in a pinch to play shortstop if Mondi's hurt. Um, but if we think this team is as good as we think they're going to be, I don't know where those opportunities even come from. Now, not that long-term he can't be better than them, but I think if you expect the Royals to win 75 games this year, it's going to have to be because Dozier's hitting well and Mondesi's hitting well. And if they're hitting well, I don't see where Bobby Wood Jr. has a chance to come up and play this year. Agree. I just I know that uh, you know I think maybe you think maybe if they would have had regular minor leagues last year, it would have been closer for him. I think, I think that's it's a little closer, too. but I still don't think he would have been twenty one even with a full minor league season last year. Yeah, I don't know that we've ever really seen the Royals pull. I mean, even when Hosmer and Moustakis came up, they were both uh, – had started the year in AAA, and, and I know neither of them were the same as, you know, type of prospect as Bobby Witt Jr. Moose was pretty close for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have seen them. Like, Eric Hosmer only got – what was it? Like, 80 AAA plate appearances. was hitting 420 in their like, local Late like April. Yeah, like, come on. Like, early May. You you forced our hand. You're coming up, so we know that if Bobby Wood Jr. hits 400 at Double A and keeps raking at Triple A, like if he forces their hand, I just don't know that that's what I expect from him this year. So yeah, and um, that, I think he's that a 2022 guy. And plus, at that point with the Royals, there was blaring spots. Like right, you you know you could move Billy Butler to DH and Hosmer could play every day for space and. Wilson Bedemeet was playing third base, I think, at that point, and it was, time, you know, stuff like that. Like, I agree. I just – something – you guys know the minor leagues way more than I do. I just thought I'd get your opinion on that. So, because that's a yeah, guy I know that there's... most people would have brought up, like, oh, uh, you know, what about Bobby Witt? I was like, well, neither – none of us even – that wasn't even an option. It was not right. one that we brought up. And, and I've seen a lot of Royals fans excited about that possibility. Like, a lot of Royals fans talking about the potential of, ooh, Bobby Wood Jr., he could come up and fill a hole. And I just, like, I, I would pump the brakes. Like, I would approach Bobby Wood Jr. this year as if he makes any kind of debut in the big leagues, you're getting gravy. Like, congratulations, we get him a year early. How awesome is this? Because I don't think those chances are more than, like, 5%. So, if the 5% happens, awesome, man. What a, what a treat. Christmas in July. Um but assuming that doesn't happen, like like temper your expect temper your expectations, um, and just anticipate that being next year sometime. And I and I don't think it's one of those things where, we're, like the Royals, at least in the last couple of years, aren't like, yeah, we're we're going to manipulate service time, we're going to keep him down for a month and then bring him up or whatever. Like they could have very easily done that with Chris Bubich and Brady Singer, but they fully believed in their ability to pitch an entire big league season, quote unquote. 
um, you know, for a 60 game stretch, they very well, they very easily could have told them, send them back down to the alternate site a week prior to the end of the year and game game service time. And they didn't do it. And I think that's also maybe doing right by the player. And I think that's more speaks to the Royals organization than anything else. And if, if Bobby Witt Jr. Forces their hand in like all season in the minors for over 120 game stretch and mashes the ball and proves that he's a top five prospect in baseball comes to spring training next year and does the same thing, you know, they could make that decision. And it wouldn't necessarily surprise me, especially if everything that we keep hearing about him is as legit as it seems, but you know, we'll, we'll see. I think they are very much a team that's going to bring a guy up when he's ready and when they know that they can get big league production out of him right away and not just, okay, we'll keep him down for three weeks and then we'll bring him up. Like the, the Royals really haven't been about that at all, mm-hmm. or at least that to my knowledge over the last few years that like they very obviously gain service time with people. They're just not going to do that. Yeah. I can't think of a time where they, they did that. They didn't do that with Hosmer. They didn't do that with Moose. The, the guys last year, they didn't. Yeah. Uh, not, not to my knowledge, Alex. Can you think of anybody? I, I can't honestly. It, it's hard to say, um, you know, without knowing their real internal evaluation of guys. Because you think about Hosmer, like they didn't with Hosmer, but is that because they didn't know? Like they sent him to AAA, thinking he was going to go to AAA, and then he starts raking. They're like, uh, here he comes. Because, like we we say they didn't game these guys service time. Like with Bubich, like they didn't. We don't, we don't think they were gaming it because we didn't expect him to be in the big leagues. Did they know that he was going to be a big league starter all year and send him to AAA or send him to the summer camp because they knew they could get away with it? I don't know. Um, but you talk about Brady Singer, like the, the hard definitive answer to this is when Brady Singer made his last start of the year of 2020, he needed three days in the minor leagues and they had four games left. Like, they could have very easily sent Brady Singer down to the minor leagues um, after his last start, given him every opportunity to start every game because they left him down. They left him off the big league roster for like two days, and they only needed three or four more. Um, so they bring him up right before his first start. They could have very easily then, after his last start, sent him down, gamed that year of service time, and then you know had him for an extra year, and they didn't. They did not send him down for that last few games where they could have brought up another reliever, they could have brought up literally anyone they wanted to get a look at really quick for one start, but they left them on the big league roster. They gave them that extra year, and that speaks volumes about Dayton Moore. I mean, we saw it with undrafted free agents, Kale Emshoff, Tucker Bradley, uh, John, the Whammer, McMillian, right? They, they come to Kansas City because of the way Dayton treats their minor leaguers. Mike Miner, when he signed his deal, said um, he remembered how Dayton treated him when he was here, and he, he wanted to repay him for that by coming back on this two-year deal. So um, I really think that – I really think that the Royals would do right by the player. And if they thought Bobby Wood Jr. was going to be here, I think they would bring him up. I just don't think that that is going to happen. It's not a scenario where I think the Royals wouldn't do it. I just think the Royals won't have the, the need to do it, per se. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, any final thoughts from you guys? I'm not sure before we start rambling. I'd, ra- I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather at least try and bookend this in a, a decent spot. Uh, any final thoughts from you guys here? Shane, are you guys doing official predictions for wins for the Royal season on the radio, or can you give us an official win prediction uh, yeah. here on the podcast? We, we usually do uh, right before the season starts. We'll do our zone over-unders. Um, like I said, I'll probably – 
I'll, I'll give you, I'll say 77 wins. Okay. I might oh, change yeah. it. Hopefully nobody gets hurt in spring training. That makes me change it. But, um, yeah, I'll go 77. We'll set it at that for now. That would be – that would be great. I'd love that right now. Mark me down for that. My official prediction is 76. I think they go 76 and 86. They stay within 10 games of 500, and I think it puts them in a real striking distance heading into 2022. Um, my reasonable range I could see with, without, like, something tragic or crazy awesome happening – um, anywhere from 74, 73, probably 73 wins to 79 to, for them to win 80 this year, man, it would be really tough. Like they would have to have catch so many breaks, um, to get to 80. Um, but I could see anywhere from 73 to 79 wins this year, um, with my official prediction of 76. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing, right? I, I've kind of been on the 75 to 78 train for at least the last couple of months when after some of the moves they've made, I think it's showing that they're starting to turn the corner and start to win ball games more consistently. I think 76 and 86 is perfectly realistic. I think it's where this team is at and we have a lot higher expectations going into 2022. I think they'll be able to be legitimate contenders for a wild card spot. I don't think they'll be close to, to winning a division, especially with how good the White Sox and Twins are right now. But they'll definitely be available for that second wild card spot in 2022, at least if the way things are going. But I do want to talk to you guys real quick. Over under, oh, more for Alex, I guess, but over under three and a half of our top 20 prospects debut this year. It'd be Lynch, it'd be Kowar, it'd be Isbell. And then who's the other guy? I got that pulled up. Let's see. Look at our top 20 list real quick. So, I mean, I think that the big three that you have to think about are Lynch there. It's Lynch, Isbell, Kowar. And then can you get an Austin Cox, Jonathan Bolin, and Alec Marsh? Well, technically, Carlos Hernandez already debuted, so I'm going to take him out of it. Uh, give me the over because I forgot Daniel Tillos in our top 20 coming off Tommy John. Oh, the rest of these guys are kind of young, man. Um, I am going to hesitantly and kind of optimistically take the over there. I think we see Daniel Lynch. I think we see J Jackson Kowar. I think we see Kyle Isbell. And as long as Daniel Tillo is healthy, I think we see Tillo. But even if he is not, I think there's a chance that we see some combination of Marsh, Cox, or Bolin. Um, so give me the over on the three and a half there. I'm thinking over two, and I think it's going to be Marsh of those three. I think – and I, I think Cox will probably knock on the door too, but I'm not going to go six. I think that's way too high. But I, I will take the over and go five, I think is what I'll take. Shane, any good predictions there? No, I, I think uh, I think three and a half is about right. I, I'd say four. I'd say you got the three main ones that you said, probably, you know, a real, you know, uh, uh, Bullen or Cox maybe – coming out and get some bullpen innings or something maybe. Here's the see. good news. If, if that's under, if we're sitting here this time next year and Shane's back on, we're like, oh, man, there was only three, that means the Royals probably won like 81 games because everybody on the opening day roster was so good that they never needed the reinforcements. So if that's the case, if it's only three, it's either A, because the Royals won 81 games and everybody was awesome, or B, we are in big trouble because there were some injuries, there were some guys that regressed or something. But um, I do think that if it's if it's under, that's great news for the big league club. 
if it's over, it's about what we expected. And, um, you know, the future is, is finally kind of arriving here. We we're talking about 2013 earlier. And I think it's kind of a weird case because really quick, when you, when we looked at 2011 for the Royals, that was the arrival of Salvi, Moose, Hosmer, Duffy, like all those guys arrived to the big leagues in 11. And then 2013, they went and got James Shields and really started to compete. 2014, obviously, they went pennant. This year, in 2021, it's almost a combination of the two because the big guys we've been talking about for a long time aren't here yet. Jackson Kowar, Asa Lacey, Daniel Lynch, they're not here. Bobby Witt Jr., they're not going to be here on opening day. But they already have big leaguers that are really good. Like in 2010, 2009, the big league club was so bad that all you had to look forward to is a future. Now you have a foundation in the big leagues between Dozier, Mondesi, and Salvi, and the prospects coming up, and the trade they made in 2013. Like, it's, it, it does remind me of 2013 a little bit with the Benintendi trade, but the foundation is already so high that I think you're, you're talking about a team. Now that I'm getting ready to talk myself into saying they're going to be 500, um, so I'll stop. But it, it really is kind of a unique time because it's not like what we saw exactly in 2011, 2013. Um, in some ways, we're actually in a lot better spot than we were um, and I'm getting ready to talk myself into a 500 season here, so I really pump, have to stop. Pump, pump the brakes a little bit. I, I am the cyn- I'm the cynic of the group, and I will tell you to pump the brakes and calm down. Just, just they won, they won 83 games in 2013, right? Yeah, I think so. That sounds right. <laughs> I just remember the year because that was that was the game 162 Justin Maxwell game winning grand slam. <laughs> yeah, I was there for that game. Yeah. Oh man, now I didn't talk myself into it. Oh, boy. Yeah. No. Well, at least now, even if they don't go 500, thinking about it now, if they don't win 72 games, oh, man, that would be bad. It would be so bad. I mean, oof. Yeah, they better win 72 or it's going to be real bad news as far as how I see the outlook of this team. But I just talked myself into being real excited about Royals baseball. I'm just excited for baseball season in general. And, like, the Royals, obviously – but I'm just ready for baseball season. I'm so excited. I get to go to a baseball game on Sunday, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Like, it just – it's that time of year. It's not freezing cold, awful weather like it was last week. Actually, had like, if it was like mid-60s today in Oklahoma. Like, it was, actually felt like spring. I'm, I'm just ready for the season, man. It's going to be great. Amen, man. I hear you there. I Joel, ask him the question. Oh, okay. I said, we've had you on before. I can't remember your answer. But if you could go back in time, watch one moment in baseball history, you were there in the stands, live in person, what would it be? Willie Mays' over-the-shoulder catch. I like it. It was, like, always my favorite picture. I was my dad's favorite player growing up. He used to tell me stories about him. I think that would have been awesome to see that. In life, in person, that would have been the moment. I think watching a game at Polo Grounds would have been in a wild experience just with the way ballparks are now. Like, I mean, there are some weird dimensions and stuff, but it's 290 and 270 down lines. It's 480 something to dead center. The gaps are almost an automatic triple inside the park home run. Like that would, that's wild to think about. Those, those old ballparks are like cathedrals, man. Oh Yeah. Well, like Forbes Field, I think it was the old Pirates Stadium. Like, it was intentionally designed to not hit home runs because the guy that – like, because it's like 390 or something down the lines. And because the guy that 
built the stadium hated home runs. So he intentionally made the outfield huge so that no one would hit them. Or at least attempted to hopefully that no one would hit them. <laughs> Baseball's a weird sport, I keep trying to tell my, my co-host of my Oklahoma State show, he, he doesn't understand baseball, doesn't really like baseball, that baseball's a weird sport, and he doesn't understand it every single time. But it is. <laughs> it is such a strange sport. What else, what else sport is every, every field, they're different. They just get to decide what the hell they want to do. I don't even think cricket's that way, because I think cricket, they play on – not they do play. They can't every, play cricket on a soccer field, right? Maybe. I mean, there there are specific. I know, like in Australia, there are specific cricket grounds. But I, th- I would have to ask because I have. I know some people down in Australia. I have to ask this. I will bring this to the next episode. But I, I don't know. That's one I tr- I truly don't know if they're all the same size. But I mean, to your point, baseball, like literally, like what do you want the outfield to look like? Do we want it to be? You know, 410 out there, do we want it to be 390? Do we want it to be 420? We, you know, we wanted to have a hill in the outfield, or do we want to I was just going to say, like, you build a hill. Like, <laughs> that's the weirdest thing. Put a do sand trap in left center and a water and a water hazard right. Oh, man. It's good to talk baseball, guys. It is so yeah, great to talk baseball. Cool. We'd love to have you on again, Shane, mid-season, cool. some other time. We, you know, just a round table kind of like this and just talk about, you know, just the Royals and see where things are at. Uh, this is, Absolutely, I man. think this is gonna be a really fun year for this team and this city. Um, I, there's a lot to be excited about with the Royals and we haven't been able to really say that a lot in recent years. And I think this is the first time really since the pennant where it's, or at least since 2017, where it's felt like there's a little bit of a buzz around the team. We haven't had that in a, in a couple of years. It's exciting for sure. Alex and I are now joined by Coach Greg Vogt. He is the founder of PRP Baseball just outside of Indianapolis. Uh, he works with a couple of guys in the Royal system. Will Klein, who was a uh, fifth-round pick last year, and then Ash Russell and Nolan Watson have been in the system for a little while. But we're, we're glad to be joined by him. We get to nerd out about a little bit of pitching tonight. Coach, how's it going? Doing well. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. Alex, if you want to go ahead and, and kick this thing off, go for it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Coach Vote, we have um, Will Klein ranked at number 13 on our overall list of top 50 Royals prospects. Um, you know, I, a pitcher, my former pitcher myself, now a pitching coach at the high school level. Um, sometimes I, I, it's, it's not very data, be, data backed and it's not a very good um, way to prove anything to anyone. But sometimes you see a kid and you think, man, there's something in there. There's, there's something efficient about the way that kid moves, that his motion looks repeatable. And when I watch Will pitch, you know, it looks both. It looks efficient. It looks like he's going to be able to repeat his command – or I'm sorry, repeat his mechanics, which can do a couple things for a pitcher. One, it helps with command, helps keep the ball around the plate a little more often. And, B, it can keep, help keep them healthy as well. So, um, what have you guys been working on with Will there at the facility and – and, you know, how, how can those adjustments both help him to stay healthy and keep the ball in the strike zone a little more so he can start long-term? Yeah, well, what's crazy about Will is, you know, he's only been pitching for about three or four years competitively. Um, so he was, as a high school kid, I remember evaluating him as at a showcase as a catcher. And you can imagine basically a kid the same height in catcher's gear uh, – throwing the crap out of the baseball at second base and just kind of wondering, okay, when does he get on the mound, though? Um, 
So he's, he's come a long way as far as not only his delivery, but um, understanding how to pitch. Uh, you know, he obviously has had the velocity that's continued to climb since he was a senior in high school. Um, I mean, he was barely, not that it's a bad thing, but he was like an 87 to 90 guy as a senior. And, um, you know, he didn't get a whole lot of attention until very late. And he ended up at Eastern Illinois. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's popping twos and threes and then he's five and six. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're getting messages about how he's touching 100 miles an hour in a collegiate summer league. And uh, so it, the hard part for him is he jumped so fast that he didn't really have that time to develop his off speed or worry about, you know, all these other things that it requires to be a good pitcher because of loss. It was just the main thing that got stamped on him. Um, obviously with the frame, the athleticism, I mean, the kid is about as athletic as you can get, whether it's with a soccer ball, a basketball, a baseball, the kid can move. So, you know, as far as teaching the delivery stuff, it's, it's really just keeping him from being robotic or mechanical. Um, all of his training is oriented around just being an efficient, athletic, explosive mover. And, you know, he's been very receptive to that. You know, he sometimes he wants to, you know, think, okay, well, how do I fix this one small thing? And it's like, to you, it may not be that important. Or we may not need to really drill this in because we get some intensity, we get a catcher, we start thinking situational, and the body organizes itself very well for him. So, you know, his, his training has been very driven from intent. You know, he, he kind of came up as a driveline type uh, trainee where he was doing it on his own. He was thrown into, you know, walls at small facilities and, and kind of learning the drills uh, virtually. And he was following their, their free program they give out. And then all of a sudden we got connected and we started to talk, okay, well, what are you doing and how are you trying to do it? And uh, it kind of took itself from there. Um, you know, from the lower half uh, perspective, we do a lot of the – velocity belt and medicine ball stuff with his delivery and he seems to really feel things out in his non high intent days uh for that so that when he gets his higher intent days he can just kind of be who he is for sure and when when royals fans i think see a guy like will klein i think they're gonna they're gonna immediately be drawn to a guy like josh stalmont who came up as a rookie last year um and just absolutely dominated out of the bullpen for the royals but never did make it as a starter um, and Stalmont and Klein have a lot of similarities in, in a lot of ways where they're some bigger guys, good athletes, um, come from a little bit smaller colleges, huge fastballs, great off-speed pitch, um, lots of strikeouts, but lots of walks. So if you're Will and you, and you want to be a starter long-term because, I mean, let's be honest, that's where the money is, that's what everybody wants to do is start, um, what, what is the adjustment? What, what, what do you think the, uh, the next step for him is? Because – as, as a freshman and a sophomore at Eastern Illinois, um, he walks over one batter per inning. And you, like you said, he hasn't been pitching very long. So, so some of that is just natural adjustment for learning how to pitch. Then as a junior, he gets on the mound, makes four starts for Eastern Illinois, and cuts that down to about one walk every two innings. Um, so, so what does that process look like? And, and what has Will done to make sure that he gives himself every opportunity uh, to be a starter long-term, specifically as it relates to not giving out too many free bases. Yeah, absolutely. That's the biggest thing, uh, whether it would be his draft reports or his uh, scouting as a high school and college athlete was, you know, is he going to throw enough strikes? Is he going to pitch? Is he just going to throw it hard? And and obviously, you know, it's easier to blame a guy that throws 100 walking guys than it is blame a guy that's throwing 90 walking guys. So, you know, from a from experience standpoint, I can't hit this thing on the head enough where he just needs more – opportunities to get in competitive situations to learn how to pitch 
and show up five, five days later and do it again because he has outings, you know, whether it be inside with us or, you know, in the fall when he went out to instructs or even in the summer when we were doing a lot of live at bats where he'll just lose it for a couple and it's more so, okay, reset, you know, find your, your, your flush, get back to the rubber, tow it, and let's go right back at it because, you know, you can't doubt that the stuff is not going to get out if it's around the zone. So for him, and I don't want to speak his mindset, but I've tried to kind of coach him into the fact of let them swing, let them make contact. They're not going to hurt you when your stuff plays in the zone. And, uh, you know, it's easy to say when you throw a 90-minute fastball and a guy takes deep, it's, you know, you're going to doubt your fastball a little bit, even though the metrics say that it's going to be very successful. So um, really just gets him being confident and, and working ahead in counts and not putting himself behind in situations where he has to try to throw the ball by guys. Um, and as soon as he gets comfortable doing that, you know, his fastball is going to play at 95. It's going to play even better at 100, but the way he spins it and the way he can work up in the zone and the way he can tunnel with his breaking ball, he can pitch at 95 as a starter. I think he'll still sit 97, 98, touching 100s on a regular basis, but I think he needs to continue to grow and mature as a pitcher and learn how to trust himself in the zone. That's awesome. Um, you know, here, obviously, having him at number 13 um, – we kind of put our necks out a little bit in terms of giving Royals fans um, a, a pretty big reason for optimism. And, and again, I, I love what I see from the kid. It looks like he's made some little mechanical adjustments that may seem small, may seem irrelevant, but I really think they're going to allow him to be more repeatable and to be more efficient through his delivery. So if I were asking you today when – Will Klein is a big league starter. He's made it to the minors. He's made his major league debut, and he is still in our starting rotation. What will be the biggest reason for his success as a starter in the big leagues? Um, you know, I think, honestly, it will be his early count efficiency. If he's able to get ahead, he has – and I, he hasn't been able to showcase it yet, so it's hard to speak ahead for him. But, I mean, he now has trust with the changeup and a slider, and his best pitch is his curve. So – if he can get to where he's in counts to use his full arsenal, I mean, he, he's going to be a nightmare for hitters. Um, you know, early on, the scout report's pretty easy. Big fastball, big curveball, uh, make him throw strikes. Well, you know, he's inside bullpens, you know, throughout the fall and over the summer, he was messing with changeups and slider grips. And, and now, I mean, the slider's 88 to 90 and the changeups like 88 to 90, and they move differently than the curve. So he's not just a two-pitch pitcher that, you know, needs to really throw a lot of fastballs to get out. So if he if he just works ahead, whether he drops in an 82-mile-hour curveball for a strike, and then he can go to anything he wants. Um, but, but now he's kind of added that changeup that can neutralize lefties a little bit. It can make them not, you know, hunt his fastball as much. Um, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a hitter and you got to respect 99, and then all of a sudden a 90-mile-hour changeup falls off the table, that's, that's not fun. So – um, you know, again, he's got to be able to trust it. He's got to be able to work ahead and, and be able to use it in any count. But that just shows as a, as a 21-year-old that hasn't been pitching for very long, as that uh, maturation process continues, there's a lot that can keep coming out of it. For sure. I think Royals fans, definitely everybody listening, needs to be in tune with this guy, Will Klein. Um, you know, went out on a limb to put him as high as we did. But I really believe in the stuff. I believe in the athleticism. I believe in the body and the mechanics. Um, really excited to see him get to make his professional debut this summer. Um, Greg, I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the guy that we get asked about a lot. Um, 
we don't got to go into too many details because I know he's just coming off surgery. He just got back on the mound. Um, but you had told me here recently that um, Ash Russell is, you know, at least starting to become healthier and he got on a mound for the first time. So um, have to imagine that's exciting. But Nolan Watson's another guy that first round pick in 2015, same draft um, that, you know, Nolan actually had a little more professional experience. And in 2018, he finally looked like he had turned the corner a little bit, maybe um, got his strikeout to walk ratio under control. He had made 13 semi-productive starts at low A. And then uh, when he moved to high A, the strikeouts came down, but he actually was better at run prevention. And then 2019 should have been a big year for him. He has Tommy John, he and Ash both kind of um, at, at the same time there. Um, you don't have to go too far into those guys because I know they're, they're fresh coming off surgery, trying to rehab. But, um, you know, what, what can you tell us about their, their rehab so far? Are they both healthy? Do they both look like they're going to be able to – uh, stick back on the mound here sometime the next year or two? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I, me and Ash have only known each other for about six months. I mean, ever since the world stopped and people needed more places to, to train and, and get their stuff done is when um, I really started to, you know, be able to talk to Ash and kind of see where things were. And, and I don't know too much about, you know, him getting into pro ball in the first couple of years, but I do know the kid is working his tail off right now, and he is showing up daily, getting his progressions done. He's following the Royals' plan. Um, he's been asked to send video in to the coordinators, and you know we're doing that for him and kind of attacking some things mechanically. And and for him, like I think it's more so being confident in the ball coming out of the hand and going where he wants it with the intent behind it. Um, you know, as you as you be so successful as a high school arm. I mean, I watched him in high school when it was, it was arguably the most electric arm we've seen in Indiana for a long time. And to lose that and, and, and fight to get it back. And then when you start to get it back, then you pop the most valuable thing in your arm, you know, that's got to beat on you. So um, I know he's fought those battles and he, and he's, he's healthier now. He's, he's progressing, you know, it, the daily questions are, are being asked, you know, how's the arm, how's the body, how how are you responding to more throwing volume? And so far it's been it's been good news. So, you know, he's lifting, he's he's running, he's throwing, and he towed the rubber for the first time on uh Friday, I believe, this past Friday. And, you know, he looked good. Like for a guy's first bullpen throwing to a catcher, you know, kind of I told him, I was like, hey, does the play feel like it's 90 feet away? He's like, Yeah, it does. Uh, and so, you know, once you get that confidence back and you start to lock in a little bit better, I think the, the arsenal will come back. Um, you know, it's more so just making sure it's a, it's a progression and we're not trying to jump the gun too fast and impress people above that, you know, are kind of waiting on him. Um, so it's kind of getting that, that weight off his shoulders has been nice. Um, and I know working alongside Nolan's been good for him too. I mean, you know, they were – they were uh, opponents for a while, and then they were uh, next door, you know, trainees, and then they both had surgery at the same time. So, I mean, they're pushing each other. They both want to make it. They both want to prove themselves. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's the short time I've had Ash, I know – I know that the kid wants to get in Pro Bowl and make an impact and, and prove to himself that, you know, he can be back to what he was, which is one of the top arms, not only in the state, but probably the country in 2015. Um, yeah. Man, but, he's made some big change. The battles of turning the corner. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. 
Okay. Um, so he was making some adjustments back in 18, and that's where he started to see some success with his pitches and, um, you know, how he was spinning the ball, how he's working accounts and starting to learn what the pro hitter is because he went from facing, you know, high school baseball players to legitimate professionals in a very quick turnaround. And he kind of relied on the fastball slider combo to get guys out. And then he had to learn how to really, you know, pick and choose when to use them. Um, and then, of course, injuries started to come. And then he was, to be honest, battling through some of that because he didn't want to, you know, be the guy that was hurt. And um, that's when he ultimately ended up getting hurt and having TJ. But, you know, this winter, all the way back into the summer when he did some live at-bats with us, there I have some video that's that's pretty cool to see the changes he's made um, with his arm path, his lower half, and how much more he's on time now to be able to repeat. Um, you know, he was so athletic. He had such a fast arm that he got away with some things that, you know, was okay in high school baseball, but in pro ball, it's going to get you hurt. So, and I want to speak for him on some of the things that he's had to, you know, adjust, whether it be his daily training or his commitment to like his prep work stuff. But I mean, I've known him for a long time because I play with his older brother and uh, I've never seen a more motivated and, and, and daily attachment to getting his stuff done than like this last, you know, three to six months. And, you know, he's doing the bullpens that the Royals have him, have him doing and he's, he's ready to go. I mean, I don't know when they're going to need him out or need him ready, but once he's called out, I'm sure he's going to be opening some eyes with, you know, not only the people that have been kind of waiting on him, but also the coaches that have seen him a lot because he's been out there for two or three years kind of battling the rehab process and then COVID and then being called out for in-stretch. And, you know, they've seen him a ton, but I don't think they've seen this version of, you know, the body, the delivery, the, the, the repeatability, and even the changeup. I mean, the changeup's come a long way. So I'm excited about him too. Yeah, that's awesome. I think um, it, it speaks a lot to, to people like you and facilities like yours around the country that, you know, minor league baseball and, and teams at the major league level are, are becoming more comfortable turning their arms over to more to the private sector to go get their training and that they're not micromanaging. And they like, I think the best example I can give is when they drafted when the Royals drafted Asa Lacey last year, they didn't bring him in and immediately start micromanaging his, his development, his mechanics, his routine. Uh, they let him stay in college station. He had a good thing going there. They let him stay there, work out with his trainer. And that was right after they gave him millions of dollars. They said, you can stay there, keep training, do your thing. We don't need you right now. And we'll bring you up later in the summer when you're ready to go. Um, I, I think there's a lot of teams that are doing that. Uh, the Reds hiring Kyle Bodie is obviously a big step in the right direction of, of getting um, outsiders into the game to bring in new ideas and new theories and new philosophies for pitching development. So the Royals being pitching heavy at the top of their farm system is going to be important um, for, for all that to continue. And, and it, it's awesome to see guys like Nolan, Ash, and Will training with you, Coach, and, and, and making lots of progress that obviously has a lot of Royals fans excited. Um, that, that's, that's all we got for you, Coach, unless you have anything to add. Um, here about Nolan, Ash, or Will uh, specifically. Uh, Coach, we really appreciate your time coming on today. We are really excited to see your guys back live and hopefully pitching professionally um, here soon as soon as the minor league season is getting ready to get started because uh, we, we know they've been doing a lot of good work with you. We're, we're excited to see the, the fruits of that labor pay off a little bit. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm real excited for him too. And, and honestly, the, I don't know if you guys know the, the recent sign of Peyton Gray. Do you guys know who that is that was recently signed this past year? Was he Milwaukee? Out of Milwaukee or Colorado? Yeah, yeah. So he was with 
uh, Colorado Rockies uh, a little over a year ago. Then he got let go right before spring training, and then obviously everything stopped, and he got signed with the Milwaukee Milkmen. And he's actually about an hour and a half south of where we're at, but he's been doing his stuff ever since he got let go. And, uh, I mean, talk about a crazy year. He went from throwing, you know, semi – not healthy, but fighting through it. And then the, the Rockies let him go. And then he comes to find out that he's like top 10% in spin rate and should never be working down the zone. And that's what he was unfortunately trying to do for a while. And um, so he goes to Milwaukee Milkman and I think it was 34 innings, like 50 something strikeouts and zero earned runs as a closer. Um, and he was up to 95 and he's a big boy I and mean, he is strong and he is uh, the king of intense. Well, we kind of, I mean, he likes to let it rip. He's got a filthy changeup that it's basically a two-pitch mitts right now where he's working on a slider too. But the changeup and fastball combination was pretty lethal in that league. And he went from being like a low A, you know, release to – I don't know exactly where they have him yet, but it sounds like double or triple A to start um, as a reliever. So he's been doing his stuff too. And, and honestly, he's been great for – uh, Will especially, I mean, they throw together every day, and uh, he's kind of helped Will understand kind of what pro ball is going to be like, and not only that, but just understanding how to use his stuff and whether it be pitch grips or, you know, just getting Will to, you know, be a guy that, you know, understands how good he is and all that stuff. It's been it's been fun to watch those two kind of develop alongside with Nolan and Ash. So um, I would definitely have him on the radar as well. I don't – because of how much change has happened with him, uh, going from independent ball to that, I don't know where he'll start, but he's going to throw hard and he's going to get a lot of punch outs up in the zone. That's for sure. That's awesome. Can't have enough arms in the system. And it's sounds like it's going to be another, another big arm, big spin rate kid that the Royals are adding. So always excited to get guys like that in. And, and you always root for, for a guy that, you know, has, you know, just over 20 professional innings to, to see him get another shot would be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, that's, that's all I got guys. I appreciate you having me on. Definitely appreciate you guys following us and supporting what we're trying to do and, and help guys out. And we know that these organizations are kind of adapting to the times and obviously relying on a lot of time being spent, not with organization. And hopefully we are all on the same page and, you know, trying to make these guys impact professional baseball, you know, and make it to the top level. And that's what we're here to do. So I know, I know these guys have worked hard and they've earned it. So hopefully we get some normal baseball and some, some warm weather and we can have a little bit of fun this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Coach. We really appreciate your time. It was really informative, and we're, we're looking forward to the season and looking forward to continue to follow your work. Awesome. Thank you guys again. Absolutely. Thank Take you, care. Coach.